Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. Um, I am Joe Rocky. I'm here with Father Boniface Hicks. And before we start today's cast, I'd really would like to thank you guys as the audience for growing it in areas that I never thought was going to happen. Um, you know, I'm sitting here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and our second most populated city in terms of viewership is Tokyo, Japan. So I just want to thank you guys all for spreading the word about it. Hopefully it's giving you guys benefit in all of your lives, and um, and we continue to grow the mission of this podcast, which is to be able to get people to come back to church and to be able to come closer to God. So it was actually along those lines, we're filming this one here on the Monday after Easter, and I was sitting you know, I, through the whole Easter procession, and the church that we're in does a little not a little, they do a lot of things over the top. Um, a lot of extra decorations, like 50 angel statues that we keep moving around. Um, just a lot of processions that that are well above the typical mass, at least for, for this diocese. So um, so going through, through that, it kind of put a bunch of thoughts in my head that I wanted to get to today, Father, as far as... Um, you know, kind of why why the attendance really skyrockets for those masses. Um, you know, Easter, the Divine Mercy Novena, and Christmas—crazy at Christmas. Um, so that that was one of the topics I wanted to get to, and um, and the other area that kind of came to me in preparation for this podcast, which hopefully we'll have enough time to. If not, we'll get into a second one, which is. The enemy of greatness isn't bad or any negative term. The enemy of greatness is good. And to lead, once we get to that point, basically, it's a reflection upon myself as far as how I drifted away. I wasn't doing anything inherently bad or wrong. I felt I had my life in a good spot. And as a result, you know, that's when the, the distancing from from the regular attendance to Mass started to happen. So that will be a, for the, the latter half of this cast and or the next cast, depending upon um, how we get there. So my first question for you is one of the guys of probably about eight of us who lug all of these statues around and my girlfriend's in charge of all the pretty flowers, which I'm not allowed to do at all because I'll never do it good enough. But um, mm-hmm. is there... A need for it, a precedent for it. Kind of, where is the balance? Because the old, the the former priest who passed away a year ago was obsessed with over the top decorations, and the current priest, different generation in many ways, is much more minimalist, and it's causing friction from people who never want to change. They want to see it their old ways, how they saw it their whole lives, and I just wanted to start with. What is the precedent, if there is one, and where, you know, basically, what are the roles with that? What is the goal that, that, that should be obtained? Yeah, that's an interesting question. The One of the principles of the liturgical reform in the Second Vatican Council, in the first published document of the Council, Sacrosanctum Concilium, the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, said that we should strive for a noble simplicity. 
And if we look at both of those words, we see that there's a healthy tension there. Noble makes us think of kings and queens, which are over the top, right? There's beauty, richness, uh, fullness of, of vestments of, you know, if we think of what kings and queens wear or how their palaces are decorated, uh, we don't have as much direct experience of that in the United States, but I've had the chance to uh, go through some of these places in Europe and read some of the histories. I'm, uh, among a thousand other things, I'm a delegate for the cause of Emperor Karl. Okay. He's a he's a blessed. He was the last emperor of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So I've uh, gotten to know a couple of his grandchildren who are still royalty. You would refer to them as his imperial and royal highness, Archduke <laughs> Simeon, for example. So, yeah, strange things that happen in our lives when we except to call to religious life. But if we think of, of nobility, and the point of nobility at its best, you know, we, we know more of the abuses in the United States, but nobility at its best was meant to be an icon for the people. So the people looked at somebody, a king, an emperor, dressed in this way, and they said, that's my guy. You know, like, he's we're on his side. Kind of what we do with sports now, you know, mm-hmm. we see uh ben roethlisberger or something and and we see him and it's like yeah that's our quarterback all right you know and and if he's if he's doing great things or he's dressed in a nice way we don't are we may not immediately resent him like why does he have all that money we think like yeah that's our guy he's made it you know and Mm -hmm. and we feel like we've made it because he's made it (laughs) anyway the the point being that that there's a there can be a, a good iconic symbol in in that sort of richness that that can lift us up, that, that encourages us, that strengthens us. And so, so there should be a nobility in the liturgy. Like we should go into the church. And that's the thing about the church. Sometimes there's this tension about, well, why don't you sell it all and give it to the poor, right? Well, that sounds like Judas. Isn't that what Judas said when the, the, the sinful woman broke the, the jar of nard, which was 300 days wages? What's What's the average yearly salary now? You know, whatever, thirty, forty thousand dollars. It's so, somewhere in the thirties, yeah. You know, so three hundred days wages is almost a year's salary. So it's like twenty-five thousand wow. dollars that she just broke and poured out on his feet, right? And and Judas says, "Why don't you, you know, like sell that and give to the poor?" Now he wanted to steal from it. That's why he wanted to sell it. Mm-hmm. So he had his own impulse there. But um, but Jesus says, "There's a point to." being lavish in our love for God. And even St. Francis in all of his poverty and simplicity said, if, it, if it's a difference between having a beautiful altar cloth and going hungry, we should have a beautiful altar cloth. Fair enough. Because the Lord, the Lord is worth it. The Lord is worth it. So there is a balance, but I, I think in our time, we maybe overall, I think that's, it's the balance is shifting a little bit, but we've tended to have this kind of suspicious minimalist attitude that's that's toned everything down and so we um anyway there's a there's a point to being lavish and and we think of what it's funded i was just looking at a a book of the complete works of michelangelo you know the incredible artistry which was funded by the church's money Mm -hmm. money to have something like the sistine chapel that's not cheap have these guys you know Michelangelo and then all of his assistants and all of the time and all of the materials and all you know I mean it's not cheap but but the church found that it's worth it it's worth it to have beauty to have nobility we want to have nobility 
in our church. Because here's the thing, it's not opposed to the poor. The poor are at home in the church. So I will never live in the mansion, in the Mellon mansion. I'll never, I'll never visit Ben Roethlisberger's house. Mm -hmm. I'll never benefit from that. But every poor person can go into every Catholic church and they should feel like it's home. This is my place. All of this beauty is my beauty. This is for me. And I'm at home here. I belong here. So. Okay. So, so that's the, so that's the nobility side of it. We have to balance the simplicity side of it, which is really you, uh, you know, which is also an important, an important piece of it. Yeah. And, and it seems like basically from, from the parish that I grew up in, which literally put up three Christmas trees, if it was even three up on the side, like out of the way and maybe sprinkled some white tinsel on them. And that was it compared to the first time I went in here where there was literally 160 Christmas trees. Um, and uh, with a grand total of maybe eight people to put them all up. And we're not talking, you know, little three-foot trees. Well, there's a lot of those. We're talking mostly 10-foot, 12-foot trees to fit this cathedral uh, ceiling here. And it was a, um, it still is, it is a lot of effort. And that's the driving force um, behind this, this question, this conversation. And the process of putting all those trees up, since that wasn't the parish I grew up in, and it was Teresa's parish she grew up in, she was used to all the work and doing it and basically giving away her month of December and being completely run down as that was just part of life because no one else will do it, but that's what, what the priest wanted. And, you know, initially for me, my, my whole thought was, why? You know, I don't really see the point. I mean, it... The Eucharist doesn't get any different just because there's an extra tree up. You know, it's the the, the essence of the faith is still the same. You know, I, I I never fully grasped the um the importance of it, really until and in fact this this could be a completely wrong answer, but but I remember people identified with that priest because of the decorations, and to the point where, like I said, he passed away. About a year ago, it was right after Easter in, in Mayish, and when we came around to put up the trees the next year, and we also built a giant manger too. So, so just to put that out there, someone hung a picture of the old priest in the middle of the manger above the nativity mm -hmm. scene. So <laughs> that, that, that's how how he was identified with, and you know, I, I mean. I can move a tree around, but at a certain point, enough's enough. And I remember talking to Teresa about that at his funeral. I said, I think I finally figured out why he did this, is because those masses, the three masses thereafter during the Christmas season, when everything was lit up and it was done, the place was packed. And the middle of the summer, it looked like four people showed up. So... You know, it, it, from a lot of reasons, mainly being that one of his job descriptions is to get more people to come to church, which is kind of one of the legacies of this podcast, was that's why, you know, that was his mission. That was one of his job descriptions, get more people to, to, to come. And ultimately, I felt that that's why he did it. But at the same time, I, I personally feel it's way over the top. And now we're dealing with this friction of the new priest saying we're not doing as much you know we're, we're starting to 
simmer this down a little bit and um and, and getting all this friction yeah. here around us so that's, that's the other side is is again the principle of the second vatican council is a noble simplicity so the nobility and we just i think talked about that and mm -hmm. you're recognizing the beauty of that and uh, let's be honest our our tendency as men in general is uh, more functional than beautiful yeah. and so uh, we have to be careful that we don't impose our expediency or efficiency that can turn into a kind of minimalism it's not uh, it, it's not surprising that it was a woman in the gospel who breaks this $25,000 jar of perfume to lavish on the Lord. So it's something that, that women especially, again, there are exceptions. There are men who do beautiful things and mm -hmm. women who are just very expedient and functional. But anyway, there's uh, predominantly women have a very good sense of creating beauty mm -hmm. and, and of, of creating a home. I was a friend of mine just uh, got married and and his wife moved into his apartment and he didn't even have a bed in his apartment it was completely bare bones <laughs> and within a couple of weeks she had churned this thing just completely transformed this place and he was amazed he loved it he loved what she did but like he never would have done it i mean <laughs> but there's a you know so there's a the, we we all have different gifts but but to create something beautiful for the lord that everybody can appreciate and like you said christmas and easter uh, especially a lot of people come, a lot of people can appreciate it. A lot of people feel the beauty because if it's, if it's minimal, then we start to say like, if you don't care about this, why should I care about this? Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that's why whenever we're doing something that's, uh, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And, and we show that we care about it by doing it well. So then on the other hand, the simplicity part of it, because you just, you made a great point. It's the same Eucharist with or without the Christmas trees. And so we should never, what we're never going to accomplish, no matter how lavish we are, is we're never going to recreate heaven. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, you know, so we're, all we can do is point to heaven, that, that we get a, just a glimpse, a little foretaste that we say, wow, this is beautiful and it makes me want the beauty of heaven. And that's where the simplicity comes in, that we, we hold ourselves back a little bit because at the end of the day, Jesus himself is so completely unadorned in the Eucharist, right? He could do so many different things, but he hides himself under the appearance of bread and not even very interesting bread. I mean, it's very plain looking and very uninteresting looking. And if he's willing to hide behind that simplicity, okay, so that needs to be the, that needs to be the centerpiece. We don't want to have all of this other stuff such that someone says, well, it's not the real Eucharist at your church because you don't have 17,000 Christmas trees. So that's where the simplicity is that uh, we want to do things that are beautiful and noble. Um, but yeah, exactly. There's, there's a limit. And, and, uh, and ultimately, we don't want them to substitute for our faith. We want them to spur on our faith to go beyond that. We, we want glimpses. They provide glimpses that then we look to heaven in faith for the fullness that our hearts really long for. And, and that makes sense. That actually made me think of a, of a thought there. Um, when I was giving out the communion um, as a Eucharist minister on Easter, um, first off, it, normally they don't need an extra Eucharistic minister because the priest can just kind of do it by himself because it's not 
super full, but we had a you know we had the need for it being Easter Sunday, and um, it was that that was actually one of the thoughts that I had was that you know I mean you you keep saying it, the body of Christ you know and you make eye contact with everyone at least that's what I try to do, and it was the thought that you know well two thoughts of that first off. Um, the typical response you get from people is amen. You know, they say the body of Christ, you say amen. But I had a couple of people really strike me. They said, thank you. And I was like, to me, that seems like the better response. Why don't people say that? Um, and, um, that might be a whole different topic for a whole different day, but, um, (laughs) but that was just something that, that, that struck me there. And, but it, it was just the, it, that, that, the diversity of people that came through, um, I mean, it didn't really matter what demographic you're trying to cut it, it was just so, so first of all, so many people, which was fun, but just that it was everyone being so different in their own ways, um, and again, in virtually any way that, that that you wanted to break it down, and it was, um, it, it, it was, you know, going through that, it is a very simple piece of bread. I mean, it's unleavened. Um, it, it, it's unless I'm mistaken with the way it's made, it's essentially molded because um, they're all mm-hmm. identical. And um, yeah, it's just something that 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 is simplest. And it, it's just something that that, that kind of struck me is is standing there, you know, giving out the Eucharist and and, and all of that. It's something that that simple and that pure is bringing this many people together into one body of the church so yeah heaven <laughs> yes yes going back to a, a couple of podcasts ago about talking about the judgment and getting to heaven and all that um a, a, as we come full circle yeah. here um heaven and a piece of bread yeah and the reason people say amen is because they're supposed to say amen because it's a liturgical ritual the same reason that the priest doesn't make up different words of consecration or different prayers it's a participation in a liturgy Okay. So what's in their hearts behind that amen can be a variety of things. And thank you is a very good sentiment to have in our hearts at that moment. But anyway, the thing we should say with our mouths is the liturgy, which is amen. Which which makes sense. Hey, on that note, what does amen actually mean? Um, uh, essentially, I believe okay. in, uh, in Hebrew, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I've always wondered that because, I mean, it's at the end of all the prayers, you know. It's like, yeah, you know, it is, it's connected to the word truth, emet, in uh, in Hebrew. So it is truth, I believe, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's another question for the uh, adult part of the the learning here. That's right. Yeah, it, it's one of those things, you know, you, you, you when you're a kid, you just taught these are the words, you say the prayers. <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, actually taking some time back and, and thinking about what you're saying really does make a make a difference that I found and you know I, I think that so many times we just can can get stuck in kind of this autopilot mode with whatever it be um, for me it happens a lot in driving where you know I just start going somewhere routinely and whether I'm going to the same place or not I know that people do this when they drive to work you know, if you're supposed to go somewhere else, your your brain's just in, I'm driving, going to go down to work now, and you didn't go to the grocery store, you don't realize you messed up until you're in your parking lot. And um, 
I know that in, in my life that, that that can happen a lot and one of the spots whenever um, I think that, that I was having the trouble of getting close to the faith is whenever that was happening to me during the religious part of my life you know you, you go to church you know you, you know all the words you just kind of going through autopilot and not necessarily sitting down and and thinking about what you're saying and um you know that that's just just the thought that happened with me and how to uh how beneficial how beneficial it was when you slow it down and actually go through what you're saying and why you're saying it because you know each one of those prayers has a purpose um and and actually going through the thoughts of them you know make a lot of sense um and, and I think that that you get a lot of benefit from it just by, you know, what what are you trying to say, especially in the Our Father, you know, because um, I remember in in grade school, we had to learn the words obviously, and and we probably had a test at one point where we had to write the thing out, but you know, most people had to do that for the Gettysburg Address too. Doesn't mean you fully grasp the the importance of it, and that's one of the things that. That I don't know if if that's just me that that's a problem with, or if, or if you see that in other people as you're you're looking out when you're presenting the masses, um, and maybe how to to keep that from being a less common thing of kicking into autopilot. Yeah, I think we could uh, we could spend some more time talking about that, but let me just say uh, a quick thing that there's a both and there, uh, and there are some psychologists who in the last 50 years developed an understanding of how we think. There's a great book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, who won the Nobel Prize in Economics. And he recognized that there are these two kinds of thinking that we do. One is, I would call it cognition, that we, we use our brains, we, we crunch things. We, mm-hmm. you know, so if I asked you, how much is 17 times 24? You go, uh, and you got to think about it, and you got to work it out in your head, and it takes energy. If you're going to take a left turn into traffic, you got to take a lot of focus and attention and do the right thing in your processing. But then there are other things like what's two plus two, four, you know, that are just instantaneous. And if you're just driving on an open road, eh, it takes no processing at all. Yeah, That's more like recognition, I like to think of it. So cognition and recognition. And we need both of those things. In our laziness, we're always tending toward recognition that second form, that thinking fast, takes no energy. It just happens. Answers present themselves to us. We're, we're just functioning, processing, you know, nothing. Anyway, it's no effort. And our tendency is to go in that direction as much as possible. So as much as we can move into the not thinking hard phase, we tend to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to be able to do that because recognition is really important that I don't have to – so there's – uh, if I'm going to see your face, for example, or I'm trying to connect your name to your face or, or you know, think of how, how much effort it takes to get to know 50 people in a room. I join a new group. I'm trying to match names and faces. Maybe I have to study a sheet and a Facebook and I've got to look up things and it takes a lot of energy. I want to get to the point that I can just recognize. I see your face and I say, Joe, you know, and that just comes together instantaneously. So we want those connections to be made, but it takes effort to get there. And sometimes it's worth revisiting. 
I might meditate on your name, Joseph, a little bit. Oh, that's a nice. Why'd your mother call you? You know, why'd your father call you Joseph? Why'd you? How do you? How are you a Joseph? How you? And so I might take some more time and make that connection. Or, but we want to do we want to do both of those things. So the same thing's true of the prayers that we say. We want the Our Father to be automatic in a certain sense that it's not taking, it's not demanding our effort to do it. We want it to be recognition that thinking fast. But sometimes it helps us to slow down and think about it because then the recognition goes deeper. There's that, that phrase, for example, give us this day our daily bread. I might dig into that and discover that the Greek word there actually means super substantial or supernatural bread. Give us this day our, uh, our supernatural bread. And, whoa, that's really interesting. Where'd that come from? So mm-hmm. we can talk about that. But anyway, um, by thinking about it, getting to understand the meaning, going deeper, now, whenever I pray that, give us this day our daily bread, there's a little spark in me that happens automatically that I think of the Eucharist. I think of that great gift of our Lord to us in his body and blood in this form of bread and wine. So we, we need both. We need both. We want to be able to pray the, the words of the Mass without having to think hard about it and try to remember them. And it takes a lot of energy like we would do if we learned it in a foreign language and we had to process it again. But at the same time, we want to think about it from time to time to keep going deeper so that the recognition, so that the immediate effect of it is also more nourishing for us, lifts up our heart in a, in a bigger way. Hmm. That's, a, uh, that's a lot there. Um, see, because first off, the way that I always interpreted it apparently was wrong. Because <laughs> you're saying the supernatural divinity type of bread. I always took it as providing for the earthly needs you know, like, um, like going out and, and getting the job done for your paycheck type stuff. But you're, but you're taking it the, the complete other direction, which means once again, the way you learn it when you were nine years old is not a hundred percent the way that it is. <laughs> so that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, okay. Okay. So, um, so that makes sense. You know, you, you, you want to check in, you want to be able to, to, to have it, yes, so that it's part of you, being the way that you're you're saying there, with it's it's easier on your brain because it's it, it's a part of you, and um, one of the things that that it just so happens this is part of the the Divine Mercy Novena, which they you say a Rosary, but it's a different prayer. It's not the Hail Mary. It's um it's the Divine it's the Novena prayer, and since it's just basically repeating the one sentence ten times then repeating a different sentence ten times I tend to see a lot more of it during that just looking around to people just kind of yep yep (laughs) and just kind of like they're checking off a box to get it done type deal rather than kind of engaging it if, if that makes sense yeah so that's a great example for the sake of his sorrowful passion have mercy on us and on the whole world and when I think of his sorrowful passion, now I might have spent some extra time, especially on Good Friday or during Holy Week, focusing on his sorrowful passion. Maybe when I saw The Passion of the Christ, uh, Mel Gibson's film, mm-hmm. maybe it helped to open up for me in more graphic detail and gave me some images. So when I just float across that word, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, spontaneously, things op- you know, some things come to me, an image comes to me, a feeling comes to me. And uh, a person to pray for comes to me. My own experience comes to me. 
But those are the kinds of pathways that we want to open up. So we do need to take a dedicated time to focus on what this means, his sorrowful passion. And then it's just like a like a little spark every time that we we do that. It's kind of like when you uh, we're really strong in associating scents. You know, when I smell a certain thing, maybe I smell fresh bread, I immediately am transported to my mother's kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. These are the kinds of pathways that we want to build into our prayers, that we make those connections. So there's a, a certain desirable part that, and, and we see it when people are dying, mm-hmm. they can't think of anything else or do anything else, but they can still pray the Our Father, and it still connects them with the Lord. So we want those kinds of connections to be built up. And, and that makes that makes perfect sense. So along that note, as we're, we're concluding this podcast, hopefully we're able to create some connections here with you as our audience, and hopefully we're able to help you guys take the next steps to be able to get more people to come to church and grow deeper within yourselves. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week.